Almost New Year from WiseCast, the podcast for women in STEM and education. I am Dr. Richa Chandra. And I'm Dr. Amber Miller. In our episode today, New Year, New Hustle, you will hear our conversation with Dr. Brittany Barreto, a PhD geneticist, serial entrepreneur, and the founder of the nonprofit FenTech Focus. But before we dive into this incredible episode, Richa, how did you get dressed for success today? So today I'm wearing a friendship bracelet that is complimentary to the one I gifted you, Amber, yesterday as a symbol of our growing friendship, and it says getting wiser. I too am wearing my friendship bracelet, and when I put it on, it took me a minute to decide which way the message should face, outward so other people can read it or inward so I can read it. I definitely picked inward so I can read it. It's going to act as a little daily reminder to learn every day and to cut myself some slack. Slight head start on those New Year's resolutions. Mine is facing inwards as well, so I can read it. As we gear up for a new year, we are celebrating the eighth episode of WiseCast and the awareness we're bringing to the issues our society is facing with social and structural inequities and barriers for women in STEM and education. Our guest today, Dr. Brittany Barreto, is doing her part in this campaign as well, bringing awareness to investors and the general public about the technology involved with health and wellness for women and girls and the barriers that companies face with bringing healthcare technology to females. So we're super excited to have you here with us. Um, Our first scientist, our first entrepreneur combo. Your success as a geneticist, founder, and CEO of Faramore, and wehavechemistry.com, to name just a few of the, the feathers we know you have in your hat. All of this really is inspiring us, and we want to hear your story. How did you get here? Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I um. Uh, how did I get here? Well, in seventh grade, I learned about geology and I failed. I failed that class. And I thought at 12 years old, I hate science. Science is the worst. I hate rocks. And the next year I learned about uh, cellular biology. And at literally 13 years old, I was like, I want to do something with genetics. DNA is the coolest thing ever. And so from 13, I knew I wanted to do something in genetics. Uh, Fast forward, I'm in college. I also, you know, thought about being a genetic counselor, but actually I'm really sensitive. And so I didn't think I could like work with moms and tell them all day that their babies were sick. So I was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? What am I going to be? Became a researcher. So I pursued a PhD in genetics. Um, But once again, I found myself kind of not fitting in perfectly. Like the DNA part was right. The science part was right. But I was too extroverted to work in a laboratory, which is a very, you know, quiet, cold, sterile place. I, you know, uh, if any of the listeners ever see this video, I have pink hair right now. Uh, I'm very out there. I liked, I'm very animated. And so I found entrepreneurship as actually a great middle ground for me to be a scientist, be an innovator, do research in terms of like testing and piloting, um, but be able to be a pitcher, right? Go out and pitch money. I, I, you know, described to kids, my life's kind of like Shark Tank. My first company was called Faramore. It was a DNA-based dating app. So based on old science that scientists can predict who's attracted to who because of your DNA. And I thought, wouldn't that be so cool? And so I fundraised about $1.3 million and we launched Faramore. It was nationwide. We also launched a couples product called wehavechemistry.com for couples to learn about their scientific love language. And uh, unfortunately, those companies did close after two years 
it had to do with different uh, laws and regulatory policies that had come out around who can ask for DNA in the app store. And I became an investor investing in startups. And I became really interested in investing in women's health. So we call it femtech, F-E-M-T-E-C-H. So femtech is the innovation of women's health and wellness that includes things like menopause, menstruation, breast cancer, um, pelvic floor health, maternal health. And it is just, oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. It's the science world. It's the entrepreneurship world. And it's the, it's the world where I get to say vulva every day. And I love it. I love it. I love it. And um, we have a podcast called Femtech Focus. And we are also raising a venture fund in order to make investments in this industry. It's so amazing that you're doing that. I'm just very inspired that you're bringing light to those issues and you know those kinds of technologies that people haven't been talking about. That's right. It's a huge activist move, right? So, uh, like I said, I say vulva every day, and people are like, "What's vulva?" You know. And so there's a lot of I'm literally championing for women's health equality. the The anatomy of the clitoris wasn't discovered till 1998. Women were not included in clinical trials until 1993. Right. And so most of the drugs on the market were actually never tested in women until it was in the market. And so we're really fighting for women's health equality. So cool. So what advice do you have for our listeners that share the same passion for STEM, equity for women and Mm. entrepreneur spirit? Mm, I would say the biggest thing for me was um, networking and Uh, The reason I want to talk about this is because usually when you've decided science is the thing you want to do, you're in college, you're not taking business class, you're not taking accounting, right? And so you don't know what a financial, like what is payroll? How do you do taxes for companies? Like you don't know that stuff. And so then when I was in my PhD and I thought maybe I want to start a company, I felt really, really nervous because I was like, I don't know like what any of business is. I don't know anything about what's an LLC versus a C Corp. And honestly, the best thing for me was to go to networking events and meet other scientists interested in business and realize hey, we're PhDs in science. We're really freaking smart. What we're the best at is figuring things out. And what I'm asking you is go to that happy hour, virtual or in person, whatever you know your pandemic you're in, um, <laughs> to stay on your computer and through 8 p.m. so you can attend a virtual networking. That is a huge ask of scientists. We're tired, especially if you're women with babies and children and other responsibilities. Maybe, you know, I have two dogs. I consider my kids, right? Like having to run home and walk my dogs and going back out, like all of that stuff. It is not easy to push yourself to go and network because you're interested in business. And what I want to say is like, that is actually one of the most important things for you to do because in business, it's all about who you know. And if you continue to show up, even if you know nothing, if you know nothing about nothing, If you just keep showing up and people keep seeing your face, they're going to assume you know a lot. (laughs) It's this weird, weird, weird phenomenon. So what is the most important thing you've learned in your life? Mm. I am somebody who has goals and the goals get higher and higher and higher. And sometimes I need to sit back and say, dang, like I've already made it. And I feel like... um, uh, you know, women and millennials in today's day and age and scientists were expected of so much as of, of us. And I feel like, um, I just feel like I've never, I'm never accomplished. 
And then I meet new people in my life and they're like, whoa, you've done all of that and you're 29. And I'm like, well, I mean, I guess so, but like, I haven't done all these things. And they're like, seriously, <laughs> like people are 29 and they still don't know what they want to be when they grow up kind of a thing, you know? And so I feel like one of the biggest lessons is, is just to sit back sometimes and appreciate what's, what's been done. And like, even if I don't do anything else, like I'm good. I actually have a a little sign on my desk. It's like a little neon sign I could turn on and it says, you are pre-approved. And so I always have these like credit card or student loan forgiveness thing. You're pre-approved. You're (laughs) pre-approved. And so I try to remind myself like in life, you are pre-approved girl. Like you're not fighting for anyone's approval. Anything's approved. You are pre-approved. Oh my gosh, I love that. Yeah, I love that so much. So with all your entrepreneurial endeavors, are you able to do bench research? I do not do any new bench research anymore. I do get um, my, you know, scientific theory, the the hypothesis, the testing, the collecting the data, analyzing it, readjusting our hypothesis through entrepreneurship. So I actually think a lot of scientists should consider entrepreneurship as a career because literally all startup life is, is I have an idea and I don't know if it's good or not. So I'm going to put $10 into a Facebook ad and see what the data is, see if people click on it, see what happens. And I'm going to analyze that data critically without ego. And I'm going to say that is a good idea or that was a bad idea and then go back. It reminds me so much of like my Monday experiments in lab where I'd say, I think I'm going to do this big experiment. It's going to be a figure in my paper. Um, But before I like dedicate all of my samples and all of my time, I'm going to run a little itty bitty pilot test on it. I'm never going to show anyone these results. And um, one of the most important parts of being a scientist that I think actually a lot of MBAs don't have um, is that humility and excitement of being wrong. So, so often scientists, we're wrong most of the time. Most of the time, you know that. We're wrong most of the time. And so, (laughs) which can be very discouraging. But, you know, we were trained to not have ego in that process and to look at the data and say, whoops, my idea was wrong. That's not the right molecule. That's not the right concentration. This is not the right pathway, whatever. Um, I'm going to go back and readjust my hypothesis. So in, in, in business... Um, I've actually been told by investors, it's so such a breath of fresh air to have uh, a founder who is so willing to come to the boardroom and say, I was wrong. Like, look at this data. We got to do something different. Where they said, you know, a lot of times their MBA founders are like, the market just doesn't know what they want. I know this is the right thing, even though the, the data is wrong. I'm right. The data is wrong. Whereas scientists are very much like, oh, no, 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 no. Data comes first. It's me. That's wrong. You know, I love that. So I think that's also a perfect segue into the next thing we want to talk about and kind of dive a little bit deeper into your background and hear about what you found to be your greatest failure. And I put failure in quotes because Mm -hmm. failure is important in our journeys um, Mm -hmm. and how you overcame it. Well, you know, um, I hate putting this in the failure category because many people have told me it wasn't a failure, but um, 
I'm going to, I'm going to talk about it. So it was when Faramore had to close. So what happened was that, you know, we built this dating app, we were selling DNA kits out of it. We had tens of thousands of singles on the app in every state in the United States, including Alaska and Hawaii. And we were matching and creating relationships based on DNA and science. Such a cool thing. If your listeners are interested, just Google Faramore. There's plenty of articles about it. Um, But what happened one day in March of 2019... Yep. I believe. Yep. Sorry. Pandemic. I have no idea what year it is. Um, (laughs) March, 2019, we got all these customer emails from people saying, Hey, I can't find the app in the app store. What's going on. And we were like, what the heck is going on? We look, we're like, why is our app not in the app store? Like in on the iOS app store. So we contacted Apple and they said, Oh, every year we, uh, you know, renew our policies. And this year we're adding a policy around DNA and dating apps, amongst other apps, but especially dating apps, are not allowed to ask for people's genomes. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, And I tried to argue with them this way, that way, another way. But you know what? Apple, they don't even listen to the FBI. They are not going to listen to little Dr. Britt, who has a million in funding, which is a big number to us, not anything to them. Um, you know, I have a, a 10 person team, they don't care. And I, I try to argue with them as much as I could. And they said, Nope, that's the new rule. Can't you are allowed back in the app store if you take the DNA test off of that dating app. But that's what we were based on. That's the whole point of it. If we didn't have that, then what were we? And so having to make that choice to close the company was excruciatingly painful. Like I said, I had 10 employees. Some had moved across the country to come and work for me and I had to lay them off. I had to tell my investors who gave me $1.3 million that they weren't getting their money back. Um, I had to, you know, one of the biggest like challenges was at that point I was uh, living in Houston, Texas, and I was kind of known as uh, the Faramore lady. Everyone knew me as Faramore lady, right? And so it was this true like identity shift (laughs) where I was like, oh my God, but if I close, and I know this sounds like illogical, but in your heart, right? If if we take logic out of it, if I close Faramore, who am I? If I'm the Faramore lady and Faramore doesn't exist, what am I? Who am I? What do I do? And, um, that was, it was painful. Like, I mean, I'm talking stressed to the point my hair was falling out, like really tough. And honestly, one of the best feelings, the best thing that happened to me to help me like kind of recover was my lead investor. So he had invested the most money and he is, he was this older gentleman. He's very experienced entrepreneur. He's invested millions. He's made millions. Like he's very, very seasoned. And I met him for breakfast and I was so ashamed and I showed up with so much shame on my chest. Like, Oh my God, like I lost all his money. He's never going to support me again. And I showed up and he jumped from his chair and he gave me this big hug and he said, congratulations, you're a real entrepreneur now. And I was just dumbfounded. I was like, uh, you know, like, what are you talking about? And he was like, well, now you're one step closer to your successful company. Everyone has to have a failure. And I, I just like literally was speechless. I, I walked in there with my head hung so low and I left feeling like, wow, this actually might be an accomplishment rather than like this huge defeat. So that was a crazy, crazy paradigm. Um, I definitely uh, got a nine to five VC job, venture capital investment job for a little while because I needed some stability in my life, but I'm back in the founder seat. And I, and I always try to remember that now when I, when I'm up at night and I'm thinking, oh my God, is Femtech Focus going to make it? I'm like, 
well, even if it's not, I've had such an impact on the world and like my team and like, even if it doesn't work out, Britt, you're pre-approved. <laughs> you're pre-approved, right? <laughs> Um, okay, so our, our next question for you is, what are you currently researching? I'm currently researching the femtech industry. It's much more market research, but um, it's research that is, it's crazy to me to think that no one's done before, right? So um, when I first started to look into femtech, again, women's uh, health and wellness innovation, I started to think, okay, I want a list of all the companies. Where's all the, I want a list, I want a database. Where's all the femtech companies in the world? What are they working on? And it didn't exist. And I was like, what? PitchBook, Crunchbase, CB Insights, like, what are y'all doing? Like, why does nobody have a list of this stuff? And so my research is essentially like making that database. And so now Femtech Focus has, to the best of my knowledge, the largest Femtech company database on our website in the resource tab, right? And so that is, you know, science, right? That's research. It's, it's collecting the data. And another thing that I've been working a lot on is understanding what are the barriers for femtech companies to be successful. So why don't we see a lot of successful women's health companies? Why don't we see them getting invested in? Um, why don't we see them you know, going public? And so some of the barriers we found are um, medical device companies. So let's say they're making some kind of uh, you know, stent for the vagina, post-surgery stent or something like that. A lot of times, the uh, there's no billing codes for insurance for these things, and so startups are actually responsible for like petitioning to the insurance or you know companies to make a billing code for this because no one's ever made something for vaginal dryness in this way. No one's ever made a billing code for it, so that's a challenge. Another challenge is in Vogue, you can say penis, but you can't say vagina. And so, you know, there's all these companies that can't market their product because on Facebook, you're allowed to run ads that say erectile dysfunction, but you can't say sexual dysfunction, which is the word for women. So when I'm starting to like discover all of these barriers and making this list and being like, here's all the reasons why we don't see more companies, you know, or succeeding. And we need to find solutions for all of these because this is this is garbage. Um, Women's bodies are not inappropriate, uh, especially if, if wherever the bar is set for men, women need to be at least there, if not more. Right. Because if you improve a woman's health, you improve the family's health. You improve businesses' health. You improve the economy's health, right? And so I'm doing a very Ruth Bader Ginsburg method with Femtech Focus where, you know, I end our podcast with like, if you improve women's health, you improve everyone's health. So I'm trying to fight for like men's health be via like, because I'm, I'm trying, I'm fighting for women's health, but I'm getting the men on board because I'm like, it's your health too. I wish they would just care, but it's a very RBG, uh, uh, you know, method, if you know what I'm saying. Absolutely. I mean, I had this conversation with my own husband this morning and he was like worried about, you know, this is probably TMI and oversharing, but you know, why my cycles are shortening. And I'm like, oh my God, I might be perimenopausal, right? So now I've outed outed my age. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, less than 4% of pharmaceutical dollars goes to creating drugs for women. Less than 4%. Wow. Uh, in 2019, less than 1% of investments went into women's health companies, less than 1%. But some of it is like, 
Um, the data isn't there, but I've, I have heard enough stories that it's kind of more of a qualitative analysis, right? Where I'm like, well, if 98% of investors are men and they don't know the difference between a vulva and a vagina, or they think we use one tampon for an entire week of menstruation, right? I'm, I'm lovely that you know what perimenopausal means, right? Like most women have no idea what the hell's going on. So the fact that 80, 98% of investors are men, in order to invest, you need to be personally driven to give your money to it. You need to be inspired by, it. you need to be, can't wait to go home and tell your buddies on the golf course about it. And so when we're talking about vaginal prolapse, women's vaginas literally falling out because their pelvic floor is weak after vaginal birth. That's not something most older white men investors want to go on the golf course and talk about. Anyways, can you feel how jazzed up I am? I, I, I love it. And that's, I mean, you know, and so it seems like you're just definitely, you know, in uncharted territory, untapped, you know, potential mm. for, for what you're doing. I don't know anybody else that's really fighting for this. There are, you know, I have, I, there's a group of us that are, you know, other leaders around the world, but, um, it, it requires somebody who's qualified to talk on science. So my PhD comes into play like, hey, I'm qualified to talk about health. I know, right? Um, I'm qualified because I have a uterus. And I'm also not afraid to dye my hair pink and say the word vagina all day, you know? And it's a very unique kind of person <laughs> required to do it. <laughs> well, you're definitely pre-approved, Dr. Brown. <laughs> pre-approved, pre-approved. <laughs> so, so what comes next for you? Well, you know, we're still growing our podcast. I love that. We're, we have downloads in 73 countries. I like cannot believe that there's like people in Barcelona that are like listening to my voice. It's insane to me. Uh, so growing the podcast and then launching that $25 million venture fund because, you know, um, I'm going to continue to try to influence these 98% male investors to put their money into women's health. But I also want to put my energy into just doing it myself, right? Because I feel like we can have the fight of um, fund female founders. And, you know, it's a big, big, big initiative that's been going on for years. But you know what? We don't even have to argue that if we can just get more women controlling money. If we can get more women controlling capital, we don't have to influence them that vaginas are important or women founders are important, right? And so I feel like it's two different boulders on two different hills. Or maybe it's the same mount, same hill, same hill, but two different boulders. And so uh, for me, I'm diving in, I'm doing what I'm preaching and I'm raising $25 million so that we can make investments into these companies. Um, and because they don't need to convince me vaginas are important. I just need to be convinced their business model is strong. They're the great team, market size, et cetera. Um, and then... Uh, you know, hopefully I can make money too. <laughs> and then the cycle continues, right? Absolutely. I'm constantly surprised by what is revealed during our conversations when we look behind the curtain, if you will. Dr. Beretta opened my eyes to a few things about women's health that I didn't know about. I did a little more digging on the fact that women weren't included in clinical trials until 1993. And it turns out that even though clinical trials started including women at this time, very few, only around 25% as of 2015, were actually reporting the data based on gender in their clinical trials results. And this number is even lower for race and ethnicity at about 13%. This biases the results. We are not all the same, and that makes the world awesome. We should be gathering as much information and data as we can to find the best solutions and treatments for all.
I am 100% on board with Dr. Britt's RBG efforts and am on the wagon that improving women's health will make a global impact on health and the economy. Completely. I agree with that. And that women's health is the family's health, the economy's health, and everyone's health. Make sure you listen to learn more about these topics by tuning into Dr. Barreto's podcast, Femtech Focus. And then there is pre-approved. Yep, we women are pre-approved and should start controlling the money and where it goes. Here's your call to action, women in STEM. You can tap into that entrepreneur spirit too because you have the education, the mind, the talent to be poised to take an ambitious leap. Let's all leap into the new year, right? On our next episode of WiseCast, Gravity Can't Hold Us Down, we will feature our first rocket scientist, Janelle Wellens, who is one of the youngest aerospace engineers who worked on the Cassini mission to Saturn and is now working on the lunar mapping mission at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Thanks for listening to us. Again, follow us on social media and email us at thewisestwomen at gmail.com. We would love to hear your experiences and give you a listener shout out. This is the end of our episode. I'm Dr. Amber Miller. And I am Dr. Richa Chandra.